So as I get into my message this morning, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I deleted this message once already after I had it typed out. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, uh, us pastors, we, we seek inspiration from God. Cur current events happen, and then you're like, Lord, did, did I miss the mark? And I don't know if it's necessarily that we miss the mark, but God uses events and things going on in our lives to spur us forward in our message. And so what I did was, I, I think any good pastor who, who knew that, I deleted it, and I started over. And I'm not going to lie, the, the scripture base for what I'm preaching on today really hasn't changed, but the direction and the way I'm talking about it definitely has. You know, this last week has been a climax for 2020. And that's saying something for this year. That really is. And I realize that within this church, you know, we have, we have Republicans here, we have Democrats, we have Libertarians, we have Independents, we have, we have every spectrum in the political realm. And everyone in here, what I find so amazing is everyone individually thinks their stance is the right one. Isn't that funny? And what's, what's interesting, especially in this year with coronavirus, our democratic process has, has devolved, it seems, especially with, you guys have seen the division, have merit, some do not. But if we allow all this, this, this political world, if we allow that to be the center of our universe, it becomes a religion in and of itself. Did you guys catch this? That political realm, it has the potential to become a religion in and of itself. And as a pastor, um, I have always walked very carefully from the pulpit when talking about politics. Now, if you wanted to come up to me privately and say, hey, pastor, how'd you vote? I'll tell you. Now, publicly, what I will be more than willing to tell everyone is that when I vote and who I support always stems from two things. The first is freedom of religion. And the second for me, and it's, I know it's different for some, the second for me is sanctity of life. But biblical principles are what guide me. Now, this week, you know, as, as you all have throughout this week, thoughts have flooded my mind. And despite every negative or worrisome thought that I have had throughout the course of this week, you know what I found? The sun still rose. Right? The sun still rose. God is still good. And Jesus is on the throne. Those are the things I know. And I know that God has us right where he wants us. Amen? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. That's all we're going to talk about in the political sphere today. But turn Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So if you have like an electronic app, you can just turn right there. If not, we're also going to have it up on the screens behind me. But let's go ahead and read. 
That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. And God, although, you know, it, it, it calms us reading this and maybe, Lord, there are people in this room with anxiety. Maybe they're going through difficulties, health issues, God. Whatever it is that brings someone here and they feel they're going through a trial, Lord, I pray that we will see that when we look to you, God, everything is already answered. It's already been provided for. We just need to believe in faith. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. So reading through this scripture, I got a question that I want to pose for you. What dominates your mind? What dominates your thinking? And I, I sat there and thought about if I, could, if I could pie chart out what goes through my brain on a daily basis. First off, it'd be frightening for you guys, church. Like, it, it would be absolutely frightening. But uh, it, who here has ever gone through like financial counseling or financial planning? Anyone? So the idea is that it, as you're going through financial planning or counseling, what they do is they have you usually pull last month's statement or the previous three months' statements, and they have you chart out where you've spent your money. And then as you're charting that out, you're like, wait, last month I spent $350 on roller bites at Quick Trip? Like, th these are things that you start to realize, and you're like, oh my goodness, I am out of control. Isn't it funny? We don't realize these things until you do something like charting out your expenses. What if you could chart out what time your mind spends dedicated to a specific thought. What if you had a timestamp log of what you dedicated your mind to for, say, the past year? What percentage did money get? Politics. Relationship struggles. Your career. What percentage did God get? 
Matthew 6.21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And I, I, I think ultimately that we as believers, what we do, we, we sit in church and that we want to believe that the biggest portion of that pie chart would definitely be to God. But is it? But is it really? You might have heard our culture has been encouraging you since the 80s to, to follow your heart, to do whatever your heart wants to do, to, to do what's comfortable or feels good to you. And it, it's encouraged and ingrained in us that our heart is never wrong. Interestingly enough, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So we can't necessarily just go off of what our heart wants to do or our heart is longing to do. And I know that if I choose to follow my heart, the things that dominate my mind are not godly. Usually it's far away from that. So perhaps you're sitting here in church today and you are putting way too much faith in, in a doctor. Or you're sitting here in church today and you're putting way too much faith or credit to our government. Or maybe your investments. Or maybe your job security. Whatever it is. And maybe that this, these things and these thoughts have been a pattern in your life. And if you're like me, uh, there, there, there have been many times where I have fought to break certain habits. And what happens is that over time, I have some success... But then eventually I end right back where I started thinking the same thoughts all over again. And whatever these thoughts are, whatever these worries are or problems, it seems to be like an impossible escape. When I was in high school, um, I had really bad anxiety. And my, my anxieties might have been, might look a little bit different than maybe someone in this room dealing with anxiety. But what had happened was that I was, I was overwhelmed and consumed with this thought that I was going to forget something or miss something. And so what I did was every day, and I didn't write this down, I did it all in my mind, I would, I would chart out my schedule and I would break my schedule down. So, I mean, it was, it, my anxiety was so severe that it wasn't just about the tests I was taking that day or, or what homework I had to get done or what I needed to accomplish for the day or whether or not I had to work a shift at my job that evening. It, it got so severe that I was charting out, okay, this morning I need to wake up, I need to brush my teeth, I need to put put on my deodorant, I need to do this, I need to do that, to where I was charting out every little course of my day. And the moment that I thought that I might be forgetting something, I started back over from the beginning. And I just did that over and over and over again. And what I found was that it, it was causing me such bad headaches because I was so worried about what I was going to forget that I was crying myself to sleep at night, just, just hoping for some relief or hoping that I would remember. And you know what is interesting? The whole time I'm going to church, I'm acting like everything is fine. I'm... I'm and, and the reality is what was going on in my life was I was plagued with trying to be perfect. 
But there were times that I sat in church just like you're doing now, and I was told that God would give me peace. He would give me rest. He would give me hope. But yet my mind ruled me. It completely ruled me. Now, what I know when I read Scripture and what I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not an easy application to your life. But God is asking you to transform your mind. Yeah. I want to read for you Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Everyone say think. Then you will learn to know. Check this out. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's a study done on the dopamine effect of pornography versus the dopamine effect that you get by doing heroin. And they found that these brain scans looked very similar on the frontal lobe, the way it deteriorated the frontal lobe. They found it was, it was almost identical. And so there, there was a pastor that was brought in with these doctors because Look at this. Look, look at what this does. And in, in the case of both the heroin and the pornography, researchers have determined that it effectively takes three to five years to break those habits. And what they found was if, any, if during that portion of time at all, if someone habitually did it once a month, then they would always go back to that thing once a month. If they did it once a year, it would always habitually happen. That, that dopamine, that, that need for that hit would happen once a year. And so they, they were seeing these patterns, and they're saying to effectively break this cycle, it would sometimes take somewhere between three and five years. Interestingly enough, people that were successfully breaking those cycles saw that over a period of time, those brain scans started to change. And that you could see the frontal lobe becoming healthy again and changing. It was literally transforming the mind. Now, I just want to say that I believe God, through the transformational work of his Holy Spirit, can change our thinking and our minds in an instant. He can do that. But I'm going to tell you that, especially in, in charismatic circles, we so often believe that when we pray that God should just do something in an instant, we move on with our life and we find ourselves constantly in this cyclical world where we're returning back to these same old things time and time again, where we get on our knees and pray and say, God, take it away from me, but we are not making any effort ourselves. Because I believe with the practice of commitment and faithfulness, much of God's transformational work is processed through time. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your dedication. Verse 32 in our main text this morning of Matthew chapter 6, it said something that, that really caught me. Because he, here he is, Jesus is talking about all these different worries that constantly flood our minds and it seems like we can't escape. Then he says something very fascinating in verse 32. He says, these are thoughts that should dominate the minds of 
unbelievers, not believers. So those day-to-day worries, Jesus says, are not markers of who a believer is. Think about that. So if we are consumed with worry, what are we placing our faith in? Think about that. If those kind of thoughts is not the marker of a believer, what are we placing our faith in? I think it's so critical for us, church, to not let our faith be determined by what you think you know about God, but by the very word of God. Many of us think we got it figured out. We, 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 we come in church and maybe you hear this teaching and you're like, man, pastor, that's, that's good. Yep, I'm going to apply that to my life. But you never go and, and do that faithful faithfulness part or that commitment part and read it for yourself and allow the word of God to speak to you. When I was growing up so often, I allowed my faith to be developed by the music that I listened to and the words that I heard spoke in church. I'm here to tell you that's not good enough. In fact, if there's anyone capable of falling short, it's me. I don't even remember what I ate this morning for breakfast, guys. I mean, seriously, if you're relying on me, you're going down the wrong path. You need to know the Word of God. And that is what will develop your faith. See, because real faith, it's not, it's not given to worry. It's, but here, here's what I know. With real, true faith, it's never comfortable at first. In fact, it's very uncomfortable. It doesn't feel safe at all. But real faith is learning to say yes to God without having the details worked out. I want you to think about that. It's learning to say yes to God without having the details worked out. I want to tell you about when I was a youth pastor here. When I was a youth pastor here, I lived at the house right across the street. Me and my two sons and my wife. We both also, so the church paid for me to live there. They paid the utilities and I lived there for free. And not only on top of that, but my wife and I were both supervisors with a student loan company in West Des Moines. So needless to say, we were making bank. We were doing very well. And then all of a sudden, I I feel the Spirit of God. Everything about my environment is completely uncomfortable. Like, where all of a sudden I realized I'm no longer in the right place. And so I had to start searching these things out for myself through prayer and fasting and trying to understand what God had for me. And I remember, finally when I knew that I was supposed to be a senior pastor, I approached my regional superintendent at the time, and he, he took us out to dinner, and, and I remember him saying, okay, I have two church openings right now. He said, I want you to pray about it, and I only want you to apply for one. At the time, one of my really good friends from Bible college was the youth pastor at one of those churches. Like, makes perfect sense to me, really. I mean, but God ended up saying, no, I want you to apply for the other church. And I did. And I remember sitting down, and they told me the employment package. Mind you, my wife and I lived in that house over there, utilities paid for. 
we were both supervisors. We were doing well. And they said, well, we want you to move here for $14,000 a year. And I was about to have a third child born. <laughs> and I'm like, that takes a lot of faith. And so Wendy and I, we prayed about it, and we're like, no, no, God's called us to it. We're doing it. And so we, we accepted. And I remember going into work, and I was going to have to turn in my notice. And mind you, I said I was a supervisor. I've only been a supervisor there for about six months. And um, I remember going there and telling them, I'm like, I'm giving my two months notice. I'm going to be moving out of state. And they said, okay, bless you. And Wendy and I are thinking, Lord, what are we going to do? She goes into work. And she says, I've got to turn in my notice. My husband's accepted a position in another state. And they said, how would you like to be the first one to work from home? And so God started to answer every question that we had. But check this out. We had to say yes before those questions were answered. So again, I want to say real faith when not given to worry is going to be uncomfortable at first. He's not going to give you all these answers when he is waiting for you to say yes at the, at the front. Because a step of faith is not knowing where your footing will land, but making that step anyways. Taking it anyways. And it is at that point when you take that step where you don't see the footing, then the transformation process takes place where you start doing that again and again and again. And it becomes easier and easier and easier to where you are ready to just say yes to God at whatever he presents before you. And you know that he is going to provide. You know that he is going to take care. So why should we, coming in here with our worries, coming in here with our problems, expect overnight changes to a lifetime issue? It takes time. It takes time. See, if you and I, we are aiming to transform into his image, it's not going to happen overnight. God does a process in us that we have to go through these difficulties, saying yes to him, keeping our eyes focused on him, and knowing that he's going to be there to provide. You and I, I think ultimately what we need to worry about is looking like God. We need to worry about looking like God. And some of you might be saying, Pastor, what, what exactly, pray tell, does it take to look like God? First off, I want you to know that the world is going to see who God is by the lives of his believers. So it is critical that you do look like God. Your goal should be that people see Christ in you by the way that you live. You cannot, check this out, you cannot reflect the image of God if you are going to be consumed by worry. Amen. Going back to verse 32, Jesus said, that is the mark of an unbeliever. Amen. We can't reflect who God is if we're given to worry. We should also be more concerned about the perception we give of God rather than the perception that we give of ourselves. 
And I think that is important. If there's anything you can write down, it's that. Because there were so many times I was worried about who thought what of me. And so I was so concerned by what they thought of me. I wasn't concerned about them seeing Christ in me or them seeing who God was through the work that he was doing in my life. I want to explain. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Listen to this next part. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Let me tell you what this is saying in, in my world, in my life. Once I have given my life to Christ, I have nothing left to prove but Christ in me. So wherever I go, whoever I come in contact with, whatever I do, I want them to see Christ in me. The other thing about looking like God is that we really need to live our faith out loud. Some of us are too quiet. Amen? We're, seriously, we are too quiet. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it lo- lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Did that say so everyone will praise you? No, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And I'm going to tell you guys that as significant as it is that people see it by your walk and your actions and what you do, we cannot afford to be quiet. Are you guys hearing me? Because this is my problem. I see so many Christians that are trying to do their best by the actions that they do. but they never speak about Christ crucified. They're not telling people about what Jesus has done and that it's Jesus that has done that transformational work in their life. That is so important. And how are people going to know of the good news of Jesus if you don't tell them? And furthermore, How are people going to believe the good news of Jesus if you are consumed by worry or a miserable person? Can't do it. When people look at my life, I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see Jesus. And the only way they can see Jesus if I know who Jesus is for exactly who he says he is. Not what I've heard by word of mouth, not by what I've heard other people model, but me actually opening up the word of God and seeing who Jesus says he is. I once heard 
this compared to a famous painting. And you guys know that you could go to, uh, you could go to Paris, France, and see many famous paintings in the Louvre. You could go to the Smithsonian here in the United States and see so many famous paintings. Or you could go to Walmart and you could see their replicas, right? And you guys know that that, that replica, it's not even close to authentic. I mean, it, it, you know, they try and pick out every detail, but it's just not the same thing. And so they've become experts. Like, if you've ever watched the show Pawn Stars before, it's like, well, I got a friend. I'm going to call my friend, and he's going to verify whether or not that this is the real deal. And they always get out like this little magnifying glass, and they say, well, this particular piece had this significant thing done in the very bottom right-hand corner that you can only see with a magnifying glass. And so they get out that magnifying glass and tell them, I'm sorry, but you just have this cheap knockoff from Walmart. And... Um, <laughs> It's, it's nothing special. We as Christians, we as believers, we should likewise not be trying to mold or shape our life off of a TV pastor, off of your pastor from the pulpit, That's the truth, off of a teacher, off of someone who was in your life that was highly influential. You should be modeling your life after Jesus Christ. And the only way you are going to get to know who Jesus Christ is, is by reading the Word of God. Amen. The greatest treasure that God has ever given mankind can be contained in you through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the greatest gift He ever had to offer. So how are people that you love and this world going to know unless you tell them. It's not meant to be hidden under a basket. It's meant to be displayed for the world to see. And I just want to be honest. For most of us, we are so consumed with our own lives that the priority to tell who Jesus Christ is is just not there. We've got our own selfish ambition. We've got our own things that we want to see come to fruition in our life. Now, you might look straight at me and say, Pastor, how can I be excited or concentrate on the lost when I am dealing with this crap in my life? You might be frustrated and saying, I'm just trying to find God in all of this mess. And I want to remind you yet again, Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever but your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Amen. To look like God means that you are not so concerned with yourself because when you look to God for all your needs, there shouldn't be any concerns. He provides. He always makes a way. It is about you saying yes. It is about you taking that transformational step to initially say yes when you don't know where the footing is. I'm trying to draw you back and... and completely round out this point so that you guys understand that once you start taking those things that we might deem as risks, but when God says it, He is going to see it through. Amen. It's not a risk to God. To look like God, you have to look to God. 
You look to him to supply all your needs. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, 19. It says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I've always heard this verse And it just always irritated me because I'm not a farmer and it really doesn't make sense that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But I want to tell you the modern phraseology of this. God has resources so vast it's beyond measure. And if you are needing provision in your life, God's got the resources. He's got the ability to make it happen. So every time a need arises, I don't, I don't think, well, I'm going to have to call my mom and dad. I'm going to have to call the doctor. Although, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-doctor here. Or we might think, I'm just going to have to expect a bailout from the government. Instead, we trust that through the pursuit of him and petitioning him with our needs that God will provide. Let me tell you when this became so real in my life because I got to tell you, we have so many resources in this country that we just don't have a clue what it's like to live by faith. We don't have a clue. And I was over in Papua New Guinea in 2016 and I joined this group called Move to build a church for a pastor whom I knew and uh, we're, we're there, and what we're finding is, and I had never been a part of a construction crew quite like that before, and so what we're finding is that where all these guys that are leading this are particularly skilled at building back here in the United States, and these resources are readily available, they have the connections, and most businesses have integrity. We get over to Papua New Guinea, and you can just flush all those things down the toilet. And so we were about five days in. And so those of you who are in construction, you're going to hear this number and know that around the world, especially third world countries, I can go there. Now, that, now I'm the director of this organization. So I know I can go there. And it's usually going to be a third of the cost of what it is here in the United States. So they quoted us a price just on our foundation at $90,000. Our budget. Our budget for any building is 55. And they wanted that just for the foundation. So we get there, the foundation's not done. When we typically arrive, the foundation is ready for us to build on. It wasn't. And so our, the, the, the director at the time, he is calling these places. He is trying to get the parts. And what he is finding is they agree to, to sell him like so much block. And next thing you know, oh, well, there was an, a guy that we regularly service with another need. So we sent that block off with him. And so we were getting the runaround to the point where 30 some guys by day five were standing around with their hands in their pockets. We had no material. The director, we had 11 days to do that build. The director called us all together. And he says, guys, we need to pray. We need to pray. Because it is only going to be by the grace of God that we get this done. And so we prayed and we went home early that day. We didn't have much to do. We woke up that next morning and I remember him saying, well, I don't know what we're going to do today, but if you can find work, start doing it. 
We call that day No Materials Tuesday. And I remember at 10 a.m., we looked down and there was a gate to enter the complex where we were building. At 10 a.m., we saw a line of trucks with materials that delivered them all to us at the same time. We got that church done. We got that church done. I use that as an example to say, guys, when, when we're put in a corner and we have nothing else to rely on, that's when we usually turn to God. See, in, in this country, we're so fortunate with so many resources and so many avenues that we can go down. But there, that day, in that country, there was no question in our minds that God would go fight for us. If you want to see God work in your life, Leave no question, leave no doubt in your mind. God is going to fight for you. He's, he's going to do the things that you need Him to do. It just takes your faith to get you there. Because looking to Him will cause you to look like Him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. So what you are looking to in your life for that provision, for those answers, is critical. And so I choose to keep my sights, keep everything focused on the realities of heaven. Because what that does is when the moment I choose to look daily to heaven, I start changing the, the habits in my life. I start changing those thoughts. That pie chart starts changing. It's done by prayer, reading of the word, and worship. And then those things start to become normal. They start to become regular. Then what is contained in you is going to be obvious to those around you. Matthew 6, 22. says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. You cannot look like Christ when you're looking to the world. You can't do it. You can't do it. So the only way you are going to look like him is look to him and keep looking to him. And when you do, you'll see every provision solved by him every step of the way. Because Jesus understands. He sympathizes with you. He knows your weaknesses because he experienced this firsthand. Yeah. Lastly, and I'm going to finish this rather quickly. God knows and he provides. I think you need to write that down. God knows. He understands what you're going through and he provides. And I would even dare to say, God is active in your life. Everyone, please say active. 
God is active in your life. So if Jesus is imploring you, as he is in the scripture, not to worry about each day for the food that you eat, what you wear, this is what he is telling you. He is telling you that God is active in the smallest parts and the smallest moments of your life. And if God is going to be active for those small parts and those small moments, then he's definitely going to be active in the big things. Think about this. God is so involved in your life, he has numbered the hairs on your head. Listen to Matthew 10, 29 through 31. It says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. It's probably hard for you to relate to the whole sparrow analogy. But I can tell you that when I have been in Cambodia, I saw many people walking down the street with cages with birds in them. And they all sold their birds. And I sat there and I, I thought, this is pretty important to them. This, this seems valuable. Imagine what it would mean to them to say, your life is more valuable than a whole flock of those that you can sell at the market. The key for you to look, for, for, for you is to look to God. He's active and you may have been looking elsewhere your entire life you can even claim, church, you can sit here in church, you can claim faith in him and still find yourself entrusting other things. But what you're going to find if you look to him for everything in your life is true peace. And there's always going to be a need that's going to overwhelm us if we allow it to. But you, you look to God for each and every need because he will be active. And then it allows you to trust in greater things. See, faith says he'll supply all my needs. God, he's already authored tomorrow. He already authored tomorrow. Listen to Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. You might be surprised by today's circumstances. God's not. God's not. In fact, he says in his word in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Amen. You might be sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor, I need rest. I need rest. I need peace. I need to know that God's going to answer. Well, I'm telling you, this isn't an immediate work. It takes your commitment. It takes the process of time. It takes your faithfulness. It takes you being obedient to doing the things that God has asked you to do, like reading the word, praying, fasting, But what I'm asking you to do, are you willing to commit to it's time to change the way I think? It's truly time to change the way I think. And although God can do something miraculous today, I want you to commit to the long haul. 
If it's sin, you are saying, I choose to go and sin no more. I choose to repent. If it's worry, you are saying that I want to break all these patterns in my life by focusing on God daily. Whatever it is, I am asking you to commit before me and God to say, I want to break this cycle in my life. So I want each and every person in here, heads bowed, eyes closed. And whether it's the cycle of sin or, or, or else you've been trapped in worry or, or you, you just you turn away from God anytime anything bad ever happens in your life and you're saying, Pastor, I need to break some cycles in my life. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Bless God. Bless God. I see those hands. Praise God. Here's what I do. There's there's many of you here. Just lift both hands up to God right now. Lord, you know all things. And you know the needs of those whose hands are raised. God, you know what plagues their minds. You know, God, where they turn to for answers. And God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us break that cycle. That God, when you call us to step out in faith and trust you and look to you in all things, that God, we will make that step without wondering what that footing looks like. We will trust and know, God, that you are going to answer, that you are going to provide, and that, God, we will see you start providing in the big things in our life, the things that that truly bring the good news to people, the things that truly show us that you can move mountains, God. It is no big thing for you as we've learned in your word. God, you can create life by just your spoken word. It is nothing for you, God, to fix my problem. And so God, with everyone here with their hands lifted high, God, we just confess to you that we have this cycle in our lives that needs broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That Lord, we want to progress forward in in you, God. We want to draw closer unto you. We want to see you active in our lives. God, we commit right now to faithfulness to you. And God, anytime that temptation comes up or anytime we're having this battle in our mind, we will immediately rebuke it in Jesus' name and move forward because God, you have called us to, to be your children and to look to you. Lord, help us along the way. Change this pattern of our thinking. And lead us forward to do great and mighty things in your name. I thank you, Father. I praise you. In Jesus' name.